Welcome to Hash Time with Navguzi Chuanuka. This is a place where we help you unravel social constructs, discuss self-development in line with mental health, emotional well-being, and everything in between that directly or indirectly affects us in the millennial world around us. If you're hearing my voice for the first time and are the kind of person who is not scared of being a better version of yourself even if it requires you to contradict who you were 24 hours ago, consider this your virtual home. I'm your host, Navguzi Chuanuka, and I cannot wait to engage with you in the various conversations. Hello, listener. We are back for the session that I promised you with Che. We promised you. Let me not exclude that. <laughs> and this was from uh, a follow-up episode that highlighted the questions that a listener shared that he wanted her to answer. So, Che, we are here for yes. the main reason why you felt like it was important for you to return on the podcast. Right. I'm more than honored. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I'm like, hey, people can return oh, like this. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> like they're offering, I'm not looking. Hey. <laughs> Wow. (laughs) So if you've not listened to the previous episode, you need to jump into it and understand where we're coming from with this. So this was question number eight. Has she struggled with relapses in any way? That's a, that's a very, very good question. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I just want to explain what relapse is. Yeah. Um, relapse, relapse is not something that happens in an instant. Yeah, it's a process. It usually happens when during periods of withdrawal. Withdrawal is when somebody is not subjected to a substance or an activity, a compulsive substance or activity for a reasonable period of time. Mm-hmm. And so relapse happens after this period of abstinence. They are triggered into jumping back into using the substance or engaging in the activity. Yeah. And so relapse doesn't just happen. You have to get a feeling that triggers a thought that triggers you to take the action. So that's what relapse is. And so I did go through relapse. I did go through triggers. Triggers are basically things that make you want to drink, make you want to smoke, make you want to do whatever it is. They can be external triggers. They can be internal triggers. Internal triggers are things like emotions. Maybe you're watching a series and then you see someone who looks like someone who hurt you, <laughs> you yeah. know, it might be external triggers. You might be walking somewhere and then you pass somebody with a cigarette. Mm-hmm. going to make you want to feel like smoking. And then your mind tells you, what's the harm in getting a cigarette? You know what? Let's just do it. Yeah. And so I did, I did go through relapse, but because of the situation that I was in, I was not able to follow through with it into drinking or smoking because one it was locked down and the place where i was living in chariwadjala i think the beer trucks and the alcohol even the sachet companies were not reaching in that village where i was staying some place in chariwadjala don't laugh at chirundambata it's a very nice place so (laughs) so however much i had a mental battle going on I really wanted to drink and smoke because one, I was sober. So I was thinking through my life clearly. Clarity had become chaos. I needed to drink. I needed to smoke, but I couldn't. But that was relapse. That was what they call post-acute withdrawal. I really wanted to drink so much. So what I would do in that time is I would just cry. <laughs> I would cry myself to sleep. 
Then I wake up in the middle of the night. I'm having lucid dreams. I start crying again. I had a scar on my right leg. I would pick up the scar because there was mental pain and I wanted to drown it out with physical pain. Yeah. But regardless of what was happening, I was not following through with taking the substance or drinking alcohol or smoking. However, it still was relapse. I was experiencing relapse. But with a prolonged period of being able to go through the triggers and going through the acute withdrawal symptoms, in about a week or so, I was able to build a kind of mental resilience to know that, to just get accustomed to what was happening. Mm-hmm. In about two or three weeks, I was able to go maybe 12 hours without thinking of drinking. That was a start for me. So it took me about three weeks to go a certain period of time without thinking about drinking. That even if there was a trigger, even if maybe I was going through my phone and I saw the contact that I wasn't triggered mm-hmm. by condemnation or guilt to go drink. Yeah. It took about three weeks for that to happen. But for me to be fully recovered, to be fully free of any kind of, you know, trigger sensation, it took me about, totally free, it took me about three, four months. I remember one day, the day that I actually realized, maybe it even happened earlier, but I didn't realize it. But I remember after about four months, five months, I was in my house and then some guy passed by my house and he was smoking a cigarette. And I inhaled that smoke and I didn't desire to smoke. Should have seen the dance I did in my room. <laughs> Victory. Magisu from Bali. I said, this is it. I said, God, you are the one. Yeah. I said, it can only be you. Mm-hmm. Because cigarettes are one thing that I had tried. You know, people think that alcoholics or people who are dealing with addiction enjoy and love what they're doing. No, they know that what they're doing is wrong. But unfortunately, they've come to a point where it's not easy for them to let go of what's holding them. And so at that point, they actually do know that what they're doing is not beneficial to them. And for me as a person... My goodness, I'm, I, I'll never stop saying this. I'll, I'll never ever stop saying this. It was literally God who forced me in that situation. Yeah. I thank, I thank God for the lockdown because LDUs would have beaten me on the street because I didn't know where I was going to be. Your way to the streets were supposed to be free. Where was I going to I've be? I've just remembered. Where, for me, and you know this happened. I was able to get that place or the situation or the circumstances that led to me staying in that place, it was just a month to the lockdown. Where was I going to be? Bars were closed. Yeah. The streets, if they found you on the streets, you were thrown in jail. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if some people made it out of the police stations that they were thrown in. And so I'll constantly keep saying all those events were orchestrated by God. And that was my rehabilitation with God. And I'm very, very grateful for it. But concerning the relapses, I just hope whoever is listening to this, even if you relapse, you know, it's, it's not a sin. We are not perfect. Freedom yeah. is a journey. It's one step at a time. Uh, it depends on your, first of all, the, the amount of time a person has used a substance or someone has drunk or someone has smoked. You know, I had a story of a guy who relapsed after 27 years. You, I think you told me. You alcohol. told me about that part and I was like, ouch. So it, it, yeah, you, it's painful because, you know, you can actually think that, you know what, I'm free. I'm finally free until a situation presents itself and reveals to you something that has been hidden that you did not confront. Mm-hmm. 
you can think that you've dealt with everything, which is why in my rehabilitation time, I gave everything to God. And that's why I wrote Woman Firebreak. I wrote down everything because I, I said I'm not going to leave out a single thing for my birth. I said, God, what you need to deal with, deal with it now. I don't want to deal with me when I'm 50 years old. When I'm now MP of somewhere, I'm like president of Deloitte. Um, uh, you know, you're way up there and then some nonsense happens and they say you are running in places drunk and naked. And mm-hmm. No, no. So it's good to allow yourself to have the inner work dealt with now, however much it takes, however long it takes. For some people, it takes three days. For some people, it takes a week. For some people, it takes a year. I was actually going to ask you for the time years. because it felt like yeah. three weeks was so fast to undo all those years. Yeah, but you see, this <laughs> relapses happen with withdrawal. Like when you fully have stopped taking alcohol. Before I was still taking alcohol because there was some stock left in the shop. Yeah. But now after about two, three months, four months of the lockdown, it was now scarce to find alcohol. It was scarce to find cigarettes. Also, I was broke. Mm-hmm. I was poor. I couldn't afford. So even, I think even at some point they restocked, but I couldn't afford. So I would just be in the house. And it was just there where I was crying, dealing with everything I had to deal with, the condemnation, the guilt, uh, making amends with myself, with those around me, those in my life. And all this was just building for me to not be able to, to relapse. Because one of the main causes of relapse is a stressful situation arises yeah. and people do not have the emotional capacity, the mental capacity to, to deal with it. Which is why it's very good to build a healthy perspective of pain. That mm-hmm. when something stressful, like a trigger comes, something that you don't like comes, don't feed it. Yeah, Our generation one doesn't know how to be bored. Yeah. Our generation doesn't know how to be hurt. To be with self. Mm-hmm. We don't know how to be alone. Yeah. We confuse being alone with being lonely. That's why we can't put our phones down. That part. See, last night. That's why we can't. This, we, don't know how to, we don't know how to do the boring stuff. We don't know how to be bored. This guy, what's his name? I have forgotten his name. He's British Nigerian. And he was speaking to Gabor Mate. You know him. Mm-hmm. And he mm-hmm. said that he has noticed that he doesn't know how to be alone. That even when he's going to the toilet... Yeah, he is carrying his phone. He's not going to use it, but he's scared. That's true. I'm going to be alone. How about I carry it? Yeah, we've been socially conditioned to be connected to something all the time. I remember I was reading an article some time back and somebody actually said the new drug dealers are not selling tobacco and alcohol. They're social media companies. Those are the new drug lords in our day and age. They're selling dopamine. We don't know how to be alone. We Mm -hmm. don't know how to be disconnected. I don't know if I'm a Christian. I love Jesus, my Lord and Savior. So I am required to fast. Yeah. Let me tell you, fasting is difficult. Fasting is literally... It is. You put aside... <laughs> it is. You put aside calling and you open that Bible and read it. The Bible that boys you every day read it. You will see how the flesh will shout. Yeah. We don't know how to be bored. We want to be connected all the time. We're looking for dopamine. So... In this day and age, when I see somebody who is an internet addict judging an alcoholic, I'm like, friends, there's no difference. No difference. Us. It's so no addiction. Difference. It's yeah. same drug, just different substance, the different vehicle, same thing. So we need to allow also dopamine detoxes are very important. Mm-hmm. Dopamine detoxes. Put your phone away for 24 hours. Get a book. Go and walk. 
burn warp. Even music, sing to yourself yeah. for, for a day. For one day, yeah. you get songs you like and you, you, you sing them. <laughs> Switch off the phone. Yeah. yeah. You're looking for time, buy a war clock, buy a watch. Mm-hmm. Dopamine detox is a very important because as a generation, we need to learn how to be human. Mm-hmm. Any slight boredom is regarded as stress because now we are so used to dopamine being triggered from the phone, from from being, op- it's actually called being overstimulated. Our minds are overstimulated. And so any kind of depression, any kind, it might not even be acute depression. It's just your bored. Mm. We don't know how to be sad. There's a difference between sadness and depression. Yeah. You're going to have a bad day. Bad days are going to come. Yeah. You're going to get rejection letters in the email. You know, you're not everyone's cup of tea. Yeah. Some days it's going to rain. You're going to wake up, the sun is not shining. You're going to miss something. It's okay. It's not going to rain forever. It's okay to allow yourself to be sad. Allow yourself to be bored. Mm -hmm. Not in a while. You understand? So we need to learn how to regulate and manage our emotions. Sometimes we diagnose ourselves with, I was depressed. No, you are sad. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Someone said something bad on social media. And then now you go and cover yourself for two weeks. I'm stressed. The world, the world, what is no, be sad and then move on with life. Yeah. yeah. You have talked about that part of overstimulation. And the first time I heard mm. it was from a mother who shares her life on social media. And so they have a toddler with them, but she was barely speaking. And they thought that she had a hearing problem or some of the people in the comment section were telling her that your child might be autistic, nonverbal. Yeah. So they took the child to get examined, blah, blah, blah. And the doctor told them that the child is overstimulated. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I had never heard of that. I think that was, yeah. that must have been in March or somewhere around that time. So what they told them to do is to cut down on the TV. Actually mm. to just switch it off and start interacting with her human on human because they used to share live videos with coco melon going on and she's in a playpen and yeah. it's like oh my god and then it reminded me of a person that i know her first child was only friends with tv she had no social skills nothing if she switches the tv she's angry she cannot deal with anyone she doesn't want to talk to anyone She's just right. silent. And you know, you can't blame the kid because the kid has been conditioned yeah. to be that way. And when such children grow up, yeah. when they're teenagers with hormones and with attitudes and opinions, it's worse. it won't be pretty. What mm. helped this kid to snap out of that was the second child. Because this yeah. one came out differently. She just wants to be with right. people. She's pulling her out. Can we go outside? Yeah. And then we just love this baby girl. We she she's giving us stories. She comes up with stories and yeah. we laugh and and then before we know it, this one comes in, but she doesn't even know how to talk to you. Like in the end, she came out of it. She snapped yeah. out of it. She joined school. She learned how to interact with every other person. And then my question was. Do adults actually get overstimulated? And the answer was bare. The answer was just there. I was like, oh my God, social media. Oh my God, workspaces. And I watched a mother talking about how her kids overstimulate her. She went for a break. She was out there living her life and she was like, no one is mummy mumming me right now. No one is calling me. I'm just at peace. Listen, <laughs> this is something that we can talk about forever because my next podcast episode for Mental Health Awareness Month is about this. <laughs> I'm sorry for laughing, but 
I really wish people could take this serious because can I tell you, we people who are here, we are the, the technology generation, our children are going to be very bad adults. Yeah. Because one, we've made ourselves too busy to teach our children any kind of social skills, to build any kind of cognitive skills in them. Mm-hmm. And this is one, life is a two-way street, right? You're either consuming or you're producing. Right. And you know, the funny thing about creative is uh, you're a creative, I'm a creative. Listen, this whole thing of a tea, look for inspiration. It's good to be inspired, but do not be consumed by looking for inspiration because yeah. you will scroll and scrolling actually dampens our creativity. Yeah. It overstimulates us so much that we are unable to produce. All we can do is consume. Mm. It's the same thing with a human being. If you put a child, this generation that we are securing the bag, <laughs> listen, you've decided to be a parent. A child is a responsibility. Yeah. Until you're so lazy, you've, you've given them a tab, or you've put for, and now YouTube came, Jesus, smart TV, just put the TV, the crib, and let the kid be in front. The kid is constantly consuming and has no outlet. Like, there is nowhere the child is going to speak what the child has learned, yeah. what, what the child watching, you know. So all they're doing is absorbing, absorbing, absorbing. There's something called complex trauma. Mm-hmm. Complex trauma is when it happens in childhood, yeah? And these are things that happen to people in childhood and they manifest when they're older, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Whoever is listening to this and you have a child, force your child to speak to you by force. Have a conversation with them. Even if they speak gibberish back, make it a routine. Yeah. Just so they can get used to interaction. And not just speaking, like putting them in front of TVs and in front of phones and tablets and all this. All the simulation is a very huge problem in our day and age. Mm-hmm. And it's even worse for us adults because the overstimulation is now fortifying what our subconscious mind has that we have grown up with. Now you're... you're <laughs> At your big age at 30 with all your experience. Yeah. You've been homeless, they've beaten you, people have beaten you, you've done this and this, and you haven't received any kind of like therapy or any kind of help to deal with that. And now you're coming to overstimulate yourself with more opinions on the internet, with different lifestyles on the internet, with different things. A person like that is not going to be okay mentally. Mm-hmm. And it's going to show up either in their family or in their home space, either in their work or in their school. It's just the way it is. Yeah. Overstimulation is something we need to talk about. Yeah, we Dopamine do. detox. I had put some <laughs> notes aside about overstimulation. Like, I wasn't shocked. Like, hey. <laughs> no, it's a real thing. And I wish people knew. Yeah. It, it, it actually happened to me. Because mm. it, it, it happened to me this year. I, you yeah, remember when it, I told you that I stepped away? Yes. I pulled back. And since ever since then, I don't know if I'm scared of coming back. Mm. Like, I, this year has been so much and now yeah. when i took that week off i was like hey i don't want to go back there <laughs> right no i know what you mean the virtual world is it's a world of its own mm. you know and and you can get sucked into it if you're not careful and it's good to have that discernment especially as someone who for, for some people they can't run from it their livelihood yeah, yeah, is the yeah, internet yeah, yeah, they yeah, get yeah. their information spiritual nourishment from it you know but you need to also have some boundaries, mm. yeah? There's boundaries that you have to create. Just look at dopamine detox. Yeah. If it's two days, three days, seven, do it for your mental faculty. Right, right, yeah. right, right. We, we don't want an overstimulated generation. Mm. Yeah. 
So we are going back mm-hmm. <laughs> to what brought us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How does someone know that they have indeed healed from an addiction? How do you know? Mm. Well, this comes down to it's self-reflection, really, because there's really no one cause of addiction. And so there's really no one marker to know whether someone has healed from addiction, except from them. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. As a sobriety coach, when I'm doing a consultation call, I'll ask a client, what are the biggest challenges that you're dealing with in your sobriety journey that you wish to conquer? Then I ask them, what are the goals that you wish to see or that you wish to achieve? Uh-huh. So the person will let you know what their biggest struggles are. For example, someone can tell you my biggest challenge is I'm going to work late. I keep losing jobs. I can't pay my rent. Things like that. Yeah. Um, another person can tell you I have trained with family, things like that. You know, people have different ways that addiction is affecting their lives, the different aspects of their lives. And mm-hmm. so it comes down to up to the person, yeah? For me, how I knew that I was totally healed is I could go a day without feeling like drinking. Yeah. I was thinking about it because for me, what it was is as soon as the thought to drink comes, I don't care where I am, I have to find a drink. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter whether I got a sachet the size of, you know, if I needed a drink, I needed it. And so the fact that the thought could come and I didn't desire that, for me, that is how I knew I was well onto the path of healing. Because now we're looking at someone that you talked about after all the 27 years. What are the chances that they may have felt like they had conquered it and, uh, you know, they were going days and years and decades without mm-hmm. a want of taking the alcohol and then 27 years after two decades and seven years, you just slip back into the hole. Ah, my goodness. You see, the thing about this life is one, it's unpredictable. Right. And so it's good to be very brutally honest with yourself, especially if you're someone who has dealt with such issues like addiction. Mm-hmm. It's good to be aware of your weaknesses. I'm not careless enough to stand up now and say, Che, I'm a bad girl. Let me go and sit in a bar. I haven't drunk in three years. Let me go sit in a bar. Do you understand? Yeah. Like what kind of, who do you think you are? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That you are unbloggable. Yeah? So, uh, you know, it's just a brutal assessment of, of your life. You know, it's just being brutally honest with yourself. Right now, I'll be honest. I have gone to bars yeah. to meet people, to see people, not to sit and chill, but, you know, to go meet someone or do something. But when I walk into these places, I do not have a desire to even stay there. I don't have a desire to sit down and, and indulge or whatever. Do I judge the people who do that? No. But this is all because of a certain work that I have done in myself. However, it doesn't take away self-awareness. Self-awareness. It doesn't take away self-awareness. A lot of people believe that, people believe that, especially when you've gone to like places like rehab, yeah? People believe that when they have a family member who is a, lo- a loved one who's dealing with addiction and what, what, they bundle them up and then they throw them in a rehab. You know, it's like a microwave where you throw in popcorn, you put three minutes, come out. Mm-hmm. You think you're going to put someone in a rehab for three months, six months, and you're going to come out brand new, yeah, you know? Yeah, and then yeah. 
they've been in this controlled environment, no drugs, no alcohol. They are away from environments and people and places that, you know, can tempt them into drinking. And then when they come back into the real world, they are unable to deal with the temptations that come with that. Mm. So there has to be an inner work that you do in yourself. It might not take a day. It might not take a year. It can take 27 years. Yeah. There might be, you might have conquered everything else, but maybe there's just that one part of yourself that you haven't confronted or that you haven't surrendered, you know, to be aware of it. And so what I can say is allow the healing journey to do the perfect work in you. Mm-hmm. That was one thing about me in my healing journey. As I was writing Woman Fire Grace, whenever I came to I came to certain parts when I was writing about my childhood, my high school, and there are some parts in my, there are some memories that came to me which I didn't even write in the book, but I cried. But what was this? This was awareness. I was acknowledging that oh, there is this brokenness, there is this fragment. Okay, maybe this was masking itself somewhere. This hurt. I dealt with it. And so I surrendered my life to God. I told him, God, there's 15 years. I've drunk. I've done everything. I've, I've drunk. I've stopped drinking. I came back drinking five times more. I stopped drinking. I came back drinking 10 times more. I almost died. I said, God, deal with whatever it is you need to deal with. Yeah. And so I surrendered all those things to God. Mm-hmm. I dealt with them. I prayed about them. I read the word about them. What does God say about that? What does God say about condemnation? How am I supposed to live with certain guilt and certain shame from certain experiences, you know, without hating myself? All this comes from self-awareness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Do mm-hmm. the required work that you need to do. At the end of the day, it's not in your own power anyway. Yeah. It's, it's not in your own power. This is why surrender is very important, especially if you're somebody who wants to be free of something. You have to be free from something. You have to be delivered into something else. If you're going to be freed from one yoke, you have to surrender yourself to another yoke. Mm. And for me, I gladly and I unashamedly say I surrendered myself to the yoke that is God yeah. by developing a relationship with Jesus. Mm. Otherwise, there would be no shit to be speaking today. I was well onto the path of death. I had I had survived death, I think, three times. Three times in the space of like seven months in 2019. If that lockdown had not happened, there would be no shit. I was well onto the path of death like this. So it was in that that I surrendered my, my weaknesses. I knew my weaknesses. I said, God, alcohol is here. Nicotine is here. Uh, those, those were just the symptoms. They fell off. But even with the bottle and the cigarettes not there, I was still crying and I was still broken. I said, whatever this is, Lord, reveal it. And as I began to write Woman Fire Grace, I started to understand where condemnation, shame, all these things were coming from. And I started to, you know, just to make peace with them. Mm-hmm. Just to make peace with those things, confront them in whatever way they needed to be confronted in a healthy way, of course. Yeah. Sometimes we confront things in unhealthy ways, beating ourselves up, you know, accusing other people, self-harming and all that. Mm. So do the work that needs to be done, however long it takes. It's your journey. It's not for anybody else. There's no race. It's not over until God says it's over. Let him do the good work that he needs to do it. Yeah. And now I mm-hmm. wanted to ask you because now I'm seeing you as a coach. Yeah. And you you give credit to God from mm-hmm. for helping you out, saving you yeah. from this kind of lifestyle. What happens for someone who is going to come to you for help and they do not believe in God? Or are you specifically working with people that are Christian? People oh, that no, have no, a, because a ground of Christianity? No, 
Mm. Because addiction doesn't have a preference. It doesn't care who you believe in or what you believe in. Mm. It has never cared. Mm. Over you think God is a stone, you can addiction is going to find you. Do you understand? There's something called the 12 step program. I don't know if you've heard about it. The 12 step program is a a very popular uh, treatment program for alcoholics anonymous, narcotics anonymous and also other treatment programs to deal with compulsive disorders. There's debtors anonymous. <laughs> Yeah. No, there's like you know, but the twelve step program helps them. And what the twelve step program is, it's a list of twelve steps that's supposed to help people of mental bondage that is holding them. Yeah. And the the twelve step program has been used since the year nineteen, I think nineteen six nineteen sixty eight, I believe. Uh, since the founder, uh, the founder, he's actually a person who started Alcoholics Anonymous. And what those 12 steps do is they subject you to surrendering to a higher power. Mm-hmm. Every Alcoholics Anonymous in the world works with the 12-step program. The origin of the 12-step program is submit yourself to a higher power mm. and it instructs you as somebody who's guiding someone in the 12 steps to allow someone experience God as they know him. As they know him. As they know him. So if you meet a Hindu, for them, they know God in a certain way. Yeah, a Muslim. If you are, if you are a Muslim, they know God in a certain way. If you are, I don't know, if you believe in a stone, you know God in a certain way. <laughs> yeah. But I'm telling you, people, yeah. <laughs> well, I know. people believe in all kinds of things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. person will tell you, me, God is the river in my village. And that's who they are. That's what they know. Mm. That's really how, how you deal with them. However, um, I'm a Christian. Yes. Yeah. And it doesn't stop me from sharing with whoever I have come or whoever has come to me about my experience. Your experience. Because I did not get free by the river in your village. Right. I got free by surrendering to God. And mm. you have come to me looking for a solution of how you can start your journey of freedom. Mm-hmm. You have not gotten free from your stone. You haven't gotten free from your river. So if you come to me, I'm going to tell you how I did this and this and this and this. Of course, I'm still going to take you through the 12-step program. Mm -hmm. However, my role as a coach, this is what coaches do. Coaches are supposed to use their experience to be able to guide, encourage, and mentor their clients. Coaches are non-clinical. They don't offer any clinical help. Yeah, We are literally coaches. It's like a coach of a sports team. Mm -hmm. They come and tell you, you're the best. Go do it. You can, that's what we do. We guide and we mentor where necessary. Mm. But it's to guide, encourage, hold hands, support in your sobriety journey. I'm a Christian. Before I'm a life coach, I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. Before I'm a sobriety coach, before I'm an author, before I'm a speaker, before I'm an addiction awareness activist, I'm a Christian. Right. And so if somebody asks me, so how did you deal with the cravings? How did you deal with the triggers? I'm going to share with you how I dealt with it using prayer, using meditation, and using reading the word. Yeah. I've collaborated with a number of rehabilitation centers that actually incorporate the 12-step program, and they have told me, um, the counselors that work there, they have actually told me that many people come from different religious backgrounds, and they enroll in the rehab centers, but by the time they are leaving, even when they are still there, when they are still there, in like their fourth, fifth week, after going through the 12-step program, they don't force you they don't convict you and tell you you must believe in God no they deal with you with God as you understand him but after using the 12 step program in about the fourth fifth week 
they come to the counselor, go to the head office and they say, I would like to send for a Bible from home. You understand? At the end of the day, for me, it's about sharing my faith because yeah. it's my faith that got me free. I'm not going to stand and lie to anybody. At me, I, I went into a rehab and they put me there for, I paid $10,000 for three months. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, no. It was an active walk of prayer. It's a very it was a very intentional walk. Yeah, yeah. yeah prayer, yeah. surrendering to God, reading the word of God, and also taking personal inventory of my life. Mm. Where are the gaps? You know, where are the gaps? How can I get better? What is my vision for my life? Do I still want to live this kind of life? And one very important question that I ask my clients, you know, people come to you and they're telling you, but I but my life is this and my life is this. Me, I can, you, you know, you can't force anyone. It's the, the, the onus is up to you. And so I leave them with one question and I mm-hmm. tell them, when you have the answer to that question, come back to me. And that question is, how fed up are you? After that, I switch off the call. You'll send me an email of when you want to schedule your next call. Wow. Yeah. How fed up are you? Because I had to get fed up. Mm, mm, it took mm, me 15 mm, years of not mm, being fed mm, up. Mm. 15 years of coddling my insecurities, 15 years of being lenient to, to what was not lenient to me. How fed up are you? You need to get fed up until you're fed up of being fed up. Yeah. Yeah. That's just it. How fed up are you? And on our next call, I tell them, get a piece of paper, get a pen, write how fed up are you, put it on your bathroom mirror or your fridge. Yeah. Remind yourself all How the time. How fed up are you? Mm. It's a very effective tool, that one. I don't even have to do much. Yeah, half my work is done after we get to that point. So yeah. for someone that wants to get in touch with you, if they know someone who is struggling or they are struggling themselves, how do they get in touch with you? I think that's something we did not do in your episode. Meanwhile, you guys, if you do not know <laughs> the history of my relationship with Che, go to episode 99. <laughs> Please go in order. <laughs> we did not air that oh out. My <laughs> oh I'm my saying this oh at the my. end, it should have come first. But yes, you can also go call Kalito behind and find out what happened in episode 99. Oh, also look for her book. Meanwhile, Facebook, I had to share that screenshot with you. These algorithms. So they notified me, Ati, this comment has been taken down because it is against our community standards. So I checked the comment and it's the comment where I was telling someone where to find your book, Woman Fire Grace. <laughs> and they're like, this is against our standards. I'm like, you guys, it's a title yeah, of a book. Yeah, it's because of the link. No, it's not the link. link. It's not the link because I already share the links. Probably it is the name of the book, Woman Fire Grace. I'm like, seriously, you guys. That'll be fine. So uh, let us know how we can get in touch with you in case we need your services. And uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, If you would like to reach me, you can send me an email at parksobriety at gmail.com. That's S-P-A-R-K-S-O-B-R-I-E-T-Y at gmail.com. That is if you would like to reach me on sobriety coaching or to book your free sobriety coaching consultation. If you would like to get a copy of my book, go ahead and check Amazon or you can check out Mahiri book or Nuria store in Kenya. Mahiri there was a book time, in Uganda. There was a time when I think Mahiri said they were out of stock. Is that so? Yes, it's for restocking. Okay. Mm. So why are you directing yeah, people where there is printer, scarcity? My printer is gone. <laughs> or for him, let's start in Feb. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, but you can follow me on social media as well. I'm on Facebook. I have a Facebook page, Rebecca Chisache Macheli. I'm on Twitter, at Che Macheli, at K-Y-E-M-A-K-Y-E-L-I. And Instagram, at Che.Macheli. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's the only account. Any other account you see, the account that doesn't have the dot was hacked in November 2021. So you'll be talking to some Nigerian chilling in Greece, not me. All right, mm-hmm. thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This is this was fun. It's always fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I appreciate the feedback. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of Hashtag Wimnavuguzi Chwanuka. If you loved what you heard, make sure you subscribe to Hashtag Wimnavuguzi Chwanuka in your podcast platform of choice and share it with your friends, loved ones, and everyone that you believe is affected by the millennial world around us. Also, feel free to share your insights about what connected with you on social media and be sure to tag us. We are at Hashtag Wimnavuguzi Chwanuka on Facebook and Instagram and on Twitter. Our handle is at HT. HTNK podcast. You can also use the hashtag HTNK in session. Catch you next week. Remember, we have the new segment coming out every Monday, Unraveling Life with Jagero. And then there is a new episode coming up on next Wednesday. Ciao.